Uh, let me set the framework for you, if I may. Who here has heard of the phrase or the concept, old money? I heard some chuckles. Okay, old money, in case you don't know, it just refers to wealth that's passed down from generation to generation. Sometimes it has a bad connotation, not all the time. It's just really a kind of a factual term that means uh, there's generational riches that keep flowing down the chain. So we use this kind of cultural phrase, old money. Keep that concept in your mind as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Because we're going to look at, and I'll use this phrase appropriately, uh, spiritual old money. All right? So Ephesians chapter 1, open your Bibles there, would you? We're going to zero in on verses 11 and 12. We're going to see the sixth blessing that we have because we're in Christ. We've been walking our way through uh, this chapter. We plan to go through at least chapter 3, probably the rest of the book. But we're just kind of taking our time in this beautiful hike. We're down to the sixth blessing we have now because we're in Christ. And we're going to see that it's this inheritance or that we're heirs. So let's read verses 11 and 12. Follow along with me. The Bible says this to us in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In him, speaking of in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Say the word with me, inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Essentially, these two verses show us and point to about three things. What we have and what we are, how we got it, and why we have it. So I want us to kind of walk through those things somewhat briefly this morning as they relate to our inheritance. So first of all, notice this word inheritance. This is what the Bible says we have obtained. Understand this is pointing to a, um, a, a status as well. So if you have an inheritance, you are an heir. In fact, you can almost see the word heir within the word inheritance just by spelling it. So the inheritance points to this fact that we are heirs. And the Bible uh, clearly says this in other places. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, in which Paul would write this to those Christians, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then say it, church, heirs, heirs of God. And say this next phrase, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So this idea of, a, of an heir, with an inheritance is a solidly biblical identity. So as you think about the word inheritance, it just points to the fact that we're heirs. Now, the use in Ephesians 1, however, is a good bit more nuanced. And I want to take some time to kind of unwrap this for you because I think it's very impactful. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, we have five English words. We have obtained an inheritance. Do you see that in your Bibles? That's actually one word in the original translation. In the, in the language of the New Testament, it's one word. It's in the passive voice. And it means, now watch this, to either receive a portion or to be apportioned a lot 
as in a, an allotment of land or an allotment of an inheritance. It means to receive an, a heritage or it could mean, and I think it does, by the way, to be made an inheritance or to be made a portion, to be made a heritage. So this is why I said to you earlier, and I want to say to you again, we not only have an inheritance, we are an inheritance. So the word here is, has, a, has a twofold meaning. Let me bring some scriptural support to this. Regarding, first of all, what we have. Peter talks about this, chapter 1, verse 4, in which he says, we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away. Look at this next phrase. It's reserved in heaven for us. There's other scriptures there listed where you can see that the inheritance is referred to as something we have. This probably refers to salvation in a very specific way or possibly all that goes with salvation, the blessings in Christ. So there's various ways to see it, but there is something in heaven reserved for us. And so it's our inheritance. We'll receive it in full when we get there and we're with God. But we're also referred to as an inheritance. And this began, first of all, in the Old Testament when God referred to the children of Israel, his called out people as his portion. Look at one of these references, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Do you see that? And so we find this beautiful truth that in the inheritance that Paul is speaking of here, uh, he, he brings up a very Jewish word. And there's a reason for that, and I'll get there in a minute. But he brings up a very Jewish word, which signifies, okay, there is a people who are God's inheritance. It began with the Jewish people, but there is something we receive because we are heirs and it's the inheritance. So it's what we have and what we are. By the way, Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, 9, that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are a people for his own possession. So there he does kind of lump together, not only Jews, but all who are God's people. So I would say to you biblically, theologically, yes, the Jews were the beginning of God's inheritance portion. And those who have now come to faith in Christ after that, man, we're all God's inheritance. So it's something we are and something we have. But I do think it's important at this point to make sure that you kind of tuck this away. That began with the Jewish people and God calling them very specifically his inheritance, his portion, his allotment. They belong to him. So take that thought. Store it away in a memory bank somewhere that you can retrieve it in a few moments. You'll need it, okay? So file it away appropriately. Don't put it in the delete folder. But it's somewhere else you can remember it and grab it in a second. So that's some more about the word inheritance. Let's move next to, the, to I think, what's a key word describing how we got it. So inheritance describes what we have. How did we get that? The key word here is the fact that this was predestined for us. So whether it's what we have or who we are, the Bible says, verse 11, having been predestined. And of course, there's some other modifying phrases. I'll read those for you. Watch this. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, when you think about the word predestined, understand it means to foreordain or to mark out, to set the boundaries. Now, the use of this word here in verse 11 is different than the use of the word in verse 5, but they really point in the same direction, all right? So though Paul uses a different word, he's not trying to convey a whole different concept. I think he uses a different word because he's trying probably, not trying, but he is staying in line 
with the meaning of the word inheritance, which is really one word. It's in the passive voice showing us this is what God has given us and this is what God has made us. And so he uses a word in the same way, like, hey, this is all God's action. He's marked this out. He's foreordained this for his people, for you to receive an inheritance and for you to be an inheritance. In other words, it points to the action of God, not the action of man. Now, this word's heightened by the use of about three or four other words. Look with me, verse 11. Purpose, work, counsel, and will. Now, when you think about these four words, as well as the word predestined, you, you get the distinct impression. Watch this. There is deliberate design. Say those words with me. Deliberate design. That God, not at some negotiating table, he's not you know, bargaining, he's not on a committee, that in eternity past, God, with his own will as his counsel, and based on his purposes that he's established, he has marked out a people to be his possession and to receive an inheritance. This is quite remarkable. The, the language Paul uses here to make sure we understand that this is intentional activity on God's part. You didn't purchase this. You didn't earn this. You didn't deserve this. I didn't either. None of us here bargained with God, negotiated so that we could get part of his old money. Are you with me? God's riches came through Christ because of his purpose and his counsel and his will and his action. So it's on the basis, this idea of predestination, it's on the basis or because of God's intentional activity and deliberate design. Now the question then is, what is that design? And this is where I want you to retrieve that thought you filed away a second ago. Can you pull that back up now? We talked about how God's initial inheritance, his initial portion, his initial people were the Jews. This is God's design, that he would start with the Jews and through them bring the Messiah who would come and die for the sins of sinners, take their place, be their sacrificial lamb. And then in Christ, all who believe would become God's inheritance. He did this through the Jews, but it was also to the Gentiles. So, so you see God's design starting with Abraham and moving forward? And this does not mean that in the Old Testament, no Gentiles were saved. We know that's not true. You have Rahab, you have Ruth. So all along, God is always extending a light to the nations through his people, the Jews. In Christ, this culminated. And then at Pentecost, when he sent them into all the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Guess what? You live in the last of those terms. You're part of the, of the ends of the earth. And guess what? The gospel has come to you. And this was God's design. This was God's orderly, intentional, purposeful design to start with a man named Abraham. To bring together a nation, the Jews, who would be the avenue and mechanism for Christ to come. And then through that, the whole world would know. Every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. This is a very deliberate design, isn't it? Romans 1.16 sheds some more light on this truth. In fact, would you read this verse with me? 
a verse you may have heard before, perhaps you know it, but listen to how God's deliberate design is further exclaimed in this passage that echoes Ephesians 1. Together, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So do you see how everyone? So we know there's, there's, no, uh, there's no limitation. All who here can believe, amen. But guess what? There is a sequence and it shows God's redemptive plan and historical uh, workings. I love this, this truth because it shows me something. And church, just embrace this. Let this massage your heart. Let this stir your soul that there are no accidents with God. There's, there's, no, there's no random happenstance with our Lord. There's no like oops or chances. So, so if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you didn't accidentally run into God. He was looking for you. Now, I know on the human perspective, on the horizontal level, it appears sometimes like, man, I wasn't planning on getting saved tonight at all. Then out of the blue, it seems you hear the gospel and maybe you're at home or with your parents or at a church service. Who knows where you're reading a tract? I don't know. And then God just arrests your heart. He opens your eyes and you see the gospel and the beauty of it. You trust Jesus to become a Christian. It seems like, wow, out of the blue. But can I just share with you, nothing's out of the blue about that. God was chasing you down. Spurgeon called it the hounds of heaven are coming after you because God loves you. So if you're a believer here, just know God intentionally, purposefully, with great deliberateness, rescued you. If you're not a believer, maybe you're here this morning, live in this building, maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening. You've been checking out Christianity. You're curious about who Christ says he is and this band of people who follow him so radically and enthusiastically. I want you to know something. There's no coincidences with God. You're not here by accident. You're not watching by accident. You're not listening by accident. God is drawing you to the cross to see Jesus, his son, dying for your sins, shedding his blood so that you could receive forgiveness and be brought from death to life so that you could experience the, the power of the gospel in salvation. If that's you this morning in this room or listening or watching, here's how you can respond to God's chasing down of you to the hounds of heaven who are just coming after you, right? Here's how you can respond. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me so much that you would not leave me alone, that you'd continue to convict me of my sin and draw me to the cross. And Lord, this morning, I do believe that Jesus Christ is your son and my savior, the only way to have my sins forgiven. And would you, God, this morning, through Jesus, save me. I submit and repent to you and I ask for your salvation that you freely give through your son, Jesus. God, would you make me an heir and give me your inheritance? And God will give you his old money. He'll let it flow. He'll drench you with his riches. Amen, church? And it won't be by accident. You're not waking God up from a nap or bugging him. You're not having to remind him on the shoulder. God loves to dispense his grace. He's thrilled to show mercy to sinners. 
That's why I love this this section of, of Ephesians 1 because it shows nothing of a random happenstance by chance or some type of luck with God. Instead, I mean, it shows a, an intentional, proactive, deliberate God. Just a few more notes about this phrase because I'm really stoked about it. Let me see if I can have you join me in this. In, in, a, in a real sense, when you think about God's deliberate design, we realize that Gentiles now are actually beneficiaries. That's kind of a word that fits with old money, inheritance, heirs. So Gentiles are beneficiaries from two angles. Watch this, church. We're a vertical beneficiary from God, right? But we are actually horizontal beneficiaries from the Jews. So think about this. The inheritance we have and the inheritance we are, it's two-pronged. Our old money, it flows from the spiritual reality that it's God through Christ, but it also flows in the historical reality. It's uh, from the Jews. And so any saved Gentile should be doubly grateful for this sovereign providential design. Now in this phrase, I think we may also have a little bit of a cultural jab from Paul. You notice he uses at least four, perhaps five words that point to God's intentionality, doesn't he? Predestined, purpose, works, um, counsel, will. These are all words that say, wow, there's nothing random here. And it's not deserved or earned or purchased. This is God and his sovereignty, blessing, and pouring out his riches on those who don't deserve it. Here's why I think Paul used that language. Because in the Ephesian culture, there was this practice that as you began a transaction or perhaps as you began an event or you engaged in an activity, you would often um, begin that by saying the name of the Greek goddess for luck to the person in front of you. You would say Tiki. Now, there are some different ways to say the name, but I'll just use that for, for our purposes here. So that's the Greek word for luck. It was, the, it was the name of the Greek goddess for luck. In fact, sometimes in that culture, the citizens would put the word good in front of that. So Agathe Tiki, which is kind of Greek for Good luck. And so this was known in the culture that, you know what, as you begin a transaction, as you begin a journey, as you get involved in an event, as you start an activity, uh, let's see if we can get a little favor from the goddess of luck. And so you would say this to each other. And Paul here to this culture is using language that is the opposite. There's no hint of like luck here. There's no, there's no a sense of any type of randomness. There's no buy-in to the culture's view of how this happens. Well, look what I stumbled upon. No, every bit of Paul's language, at least five words, is very pointed, intentional, proactive. Man, it shows us that God is up to his purposes, redeeming people, making broken, spiritually poor people heirs flowing his money, so to speak, spiritually to them. I love this phrase so much. You know, it makes you think twice about the guy in Acts 20, doesn't it? Who fell out of the window when Paul was preaching and he died on the fall. Do you know what his name was? Tychicus. It was the Greek name for luck. Now, he probably named him after the Greek goddess and it means fortunate. And isn't it interesting that he was fortunate because after he died, Paul raised him from the dead. Pretty good name for a situation like that, wouldn't you agree? Here's what I'm saying. You don't find that word in these verses. And Paul is intentional, deliberate. 
So this describes how we got our inheritance and how we became who we are. The gospel came by deliberate design. We heard, we believed, and now God has made us and given us his inheritance. Notice the last phrase that speaks to why we are and why we have this inheritance. It's, begin, it's in the last part of the verse, to the praise of his glory. This is the second use of this phrase. You'll find it used one more time later on. It's a common phrase in this flow of for the first 14 verses. And in fact, the phrase is used uh, after each time the Trinity is mentioned. So God the Father is mentioned, then God the Son, then God the Holy Spirit. And after each one, you'll find that here's this phrase, to the praise of his glory. And so simply put, this shows us the intent of our inheritance. And in, in short, it's simply vertical reflection. That what people should see around you is the weight of God in your life. What people should understand by watching how you live is the immense value that you place upon Christ. The treasure that Jesus is to you. This is what vertical reflection is. This is what it means to live to the praise of his glory or to make sure that as an inheritance and as we receive an inheritance, this is all vertical. One of our couples shared with me this past week, I should say shared with us this past week, I got this from our staff. It's a beautiful testimony to, to God's weight in their life. As they entered 2021, they just were convicted that they were kind of equalizing their different activities and involvements. And they became convicted that, you know, their faith family, their church, God's value upon it and their involvement in it and teaching their children God's truths, you know, not only at home, but with their church. It's this body of believers. Uh, it just was kind of like every other thing in their life. And they just felt convicted. So they said, you know, we've, we've got to change that. Like, that's not scriptural. That's not in line with God's heart. And so uh, they agreed that, you know what, we're going to cover it together this year. We're not going to just... Um, just make church like another one of our hobbies. We're going to prioritize it. We're going to get there. We're going to be involved. We're going to get back to serving. And so I think the first, second week of January, I saw them walk in and say, hey, it's been a long time. And we hugged and we talked and, and uh, just it was good to see them. And they shared this week that, man, it wasn't in about week two or three that suddenly all these conflicts started arising. Can you relate? I mean, the games, classes, family events, nothing inherently wrong with these things. But suddenly they looked at their calendar like, oh, we can't go this week or that week. We can't serve then. And they caught themselves in that. And they said to each other, wait, wait, wait. Didn't we commit to reprioritizing based on God's agenda and his values? And so they'd already called, I think, to kind of uh, say, we can't serve this week. We're not going to be there that week. And they called back and said, you know what? Change that. We'll be there. We'll have to change services, but we're going to come to this service instead. And on this week, we'll make sure we're there for that. And then they called their family for some different events. They adjusted some things with their coaches and classes. And watch this. They didn't miss a single thing in the end. They worked it all out. They just adjusted things. But they took the right road to get there. I love that. You know why? Because that's a practical way of looking at someone's life and saying, wow, God must mean a lot to you. Like the value of God must really weigh upon you. You must really treasure Jesus to see how you've adjusted your life to make sure it reflects his priorities. And that's just one example. We could look at our finances. We could look at our time, our relationships, uh, our language. Question for you. Is your life reflecting the weight that God has upon you? 
Now, I would answer it by saying it is, but it may not always be positive. See, it is reflecting God's weight. And for some of us, it's a very light weight. So let me rephrase the question. What do you need to adjust to show the incredible heavy weight that God has upon your life? This is what those who know they're swimming in old money, this is what they do. (laughs) It's not your money. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God just brought you into his riches by his grace and deliberate design. And so you want everything you touch and have and everywhere you go and what you say, you want it all to point vertically to God. Can we review real quickly? Three concepts we've looked at from these two verses. Inheritance, which means appointed portion, or we could use the word lot or heritage. This is what we are and what we have, twofold. And then how do we get it? We were predestined. This inheritance was a, was a thing brought to us, given to us by deliberate design, redemptive history, nothing accidental. And then the point of it or why we have it is for vertical reflection. It's to be to the praise of God's glory. And so when you see these three concepts, we realize that something of great value, you know, it's been given to us. We didn't invent it. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And the purpose of what we received and what we are is to point back to the one who gave it to us. Folks, we are spiritually swimming in old money. And it should never lead people to think that we're the millionaire, that we're the billionaires. No, what we have and who we are should clearly proclaim that God is the one with all the riches. We were just spiritually poor and broke. God, through Christ, made us rich. Amen, church? So let me give you a summary sentence for the three concepts out of the two verses. Here they are. Here it is. Your spiritual lot is from someone else's money. Whose money? God's. And it's for someone else's glory. Whose glory? God's. So can we read this together? Just this simple sentence. It's kind of Uh, phrased in old money language and clothes, isn't it? But I think that's kind of our framework we're looking at this morning. This is the inheritance, why we're heirs and how we became heirs and what that means. So together, can we read this? Here we go. Your spiritual lot is from someone else's money, God's, and for someone else's glory, God's. So church, understand, this sets the stage for how we are to live. His generosity It sets our trajectory. His salvation, it motivates our actions. His mercy fuels our direction. His spiritual riches free us to invest deeply and energetically into his mission with our time, talents, and treasure so that we see greater gospel depth in the church and wider gospel declaration outside the church. This is all from God. He's the benefactor in whom we boast. Which is why when you leave today, I want to ask you to do something. Make sure you point. Don't parade. I think there's a false picture of the church and of the Christian life that when God saves us, then we kind of go down the 
the main street of the culture and we're waving. We're the ones kind of in the, the main seat. We're doing the parade wave, right? To all of our fans, all the watchers, we're throwing out spiritual candy. It's kind of about us. No, we're not the centerpiece of the parade. We don't parade our life. Now, admittedly, God does display our life. We'll see more of that in the coming weeks. But we are pointers, not paraders. And we're to point to the weight and value of God in our life. So as you leave today and as you think about your inheritance, which is what you have and what you are, will you commit to this? I'm pointing. I'm not parading. Paul did exactly this and wrote about this in some verses just two chapters later, in fact, in which he really shared about his role in his life and how it points. And he actually shared with us more about how the church is going to do this as well. So as we close this morning and as we kind of bring our hearts into maybe some preparation for communion. I want you to stand with me and I want us to read uh, these two, actually several verses on two slides. And I want them to be used for this reason. I want them to kind of massage your soul. I want them to stir your affections. I want them to set your gaze. I want them to kind of recalibrate your thinking to this point. Man, this is why God has made me and given me an inheritance. I know how I got it. And so I will live to make sure that everything in my life points to, to the spiritual old money that I'm swimming in, not to myself. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.